And we are live. Welcome to episode 3114 of the Survival Podcast. Hope you guys enjoy today's episode. We're going to be talking about shotguns today. Uh, I even have a few props for you and, and a picture, right? We're going to talk about shotguns, shot sizes, gauges, what they mean, chokes. I mean, the shotguns are a pretty simple tool, but you can have two dudes talking about shotguns and whipping them out, uh, whipping around about uh, shot size, drams equivalent of powder, chokes, and shot, you know, stuff like that, uh, barrel length, vent rib, and you can kind of feel like a person that doesn't know much about technology listening to two propeller gearheads talk about how to engineer the next great computer program. But it's all just a vocabulary. It's just a language. It's all actually, well, mostly really easy to understand. We're going to talk about different shotgun actions, what to look for in choosing a shotgun of your own, and a whole bunch more really cool stuff. Before I get into this, I want to uh, real quick note the disclaimer. If you're watching the video here, this has become rampant on YouTube, uh, especially when I do uh, episodes on cryptocurrency, which this is not, so there's probably going to be less of it. But there are more and more people that are hunting people through scams that are going on influencer channels. They take a little copy of your logo. They set up a fake YouTube account, and then they make comments down in response to your comments like, hey, hit me up on WhatsApp or whatever. I will never, ever, 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 never infinity do that. So if that ever happens to you on any social media site, don't do it. If you want to talk to me directly, the best way to do that is going to be to send me an email. You can send an email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com with TSPC in the subject line, whether it's to give me comments or questions or things like that for other episodes or because you just want to tell me I'm a jerk or whatever it is. Uh, but that is the way. Always communicate with me in email. I have the most public email on the planet. I will never ask you to give me anything like a Bitcoin private key or a seed phrase or personal information of any kind ever, infinity. So if you're seeing that below, report it and move on with your life and know it's not me. And you can let me know, but I do a pretty good job of monitoring it. Before we get into today's topic, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Hey, just serendipitously... Sponsor of the day number one today is BulkAmmo.com. I'm going to talk to you a bit about reloading shotgun shells today. Maybe in the future I'll do an episode on nothing but reloading shotgun shells. I was going to do that a while ago. I didn't do it, and I'll tell you why when we get to that segment. It'll be the last segment today. But if you don't reload or you need more ammo, and you always need more ammo because gun, no ammo, equals expensive club, get on over to BulkAmmo.com. They have tons of stuff in stock right now, great pricing, lightning-fast shipping. Check them out today. And if you're an MSB member, that is Members Support Brigade, remember that they do a discount for you guys, and make sure that you get your discount. I hear people sometimes that are MSB members, and they say, I don't even worry about the discounts, Jack. I just joined to support you. Please use discounts if you're a member because it tells the people that do the discounts that's worth being in the program and don't hate money. Next up, today's sponsor, day number two, is the Free State Project. Here's an idea. What if you live in a state that's not very free and you want to live in a state that's more free? Lots of places you can look. I encourage you to look to Texas. Uh, there are people in this live chat right now that would encourage you to look to Tennessee or Florida. 
But I'll tell you, a really great state to put on the list and consider is New Hampshire with the Free State Project. And you can learn more at FSP.org. Uh, they are a very organized group, a very tight-knit community, dragging New Hampshire against its will, kicking and streaming into the world of liberty. It was selected in a project over a decade ago. It is an incredible group of people. I've been supporting them since just about the time I started the show. That was all back, all the way back in 08. So I'd say about 2009, 2010, I started supporting FSP. If you get involved with them, you'll see why. And, hey, how about this? Uh, it is a great place to take a vacation, New Hampshire is. It really is. If you go to fsp.org forward slash visit NH, you can learn about a special program they have where you just basically take a vacation and meet cool people and decide maybe if you want to know more. With that, let's get on into this today. And I want to say to Anthem Aldicus, Aldicua, right? However you say that last name in your handle. Uh, thank you for the $2 super sticker. I didn't know super stickers were different than super chats, but apparently they are. So thanks for that. Anybody that wants to uh, chip in today. You can always uh, do that. We have lots of different ways, and I'll put up a banner for you guys where you can see all the different ways that you can help support us if you want to throw a super chat or a tip or what have you. Let's dig on into this thing about shotguns. I want to start out with just a general uh, opening. Exactly what is a shotgun? It's funny. People talk about this stuff all the time, but if you say, well, what is a shotgun? They're like, well, you, you know. It's shotgun. It is a pretty simple thing. It's basically a gun that's made up of, in general, a smooth-barreled tube, which truncates. In other words, the, the back of the tube is, is bigger around than the front of the tube, down to what we call a choke, and it enables you to fire multiple different types of projectiles out of it. It's, it's a pretty daggone simple thing. Now, usually when somebody talks about a shotgun, what they're talking about is firing shot, which are a bunch of little balls. So when you fire this thing, instead of having one projectile come out, you get this clump of projectiles coming out. What makes that so damn versatile? Well, because first of all, you don't have to. You can fire one big dadgone slug out, or you can fire a relatively small numbers of pretty big balls of lead, or you can fire a whole shitload of little bitty balls of lead. We're going to get more technical than this, but I just want to start out with thinking about it that way. This is why I think it's the ultimate prepper gun, though. Let's say you said to me, Jack, I'll tell you what the ultimate prepper gun, man, is. It's an AR-15 in, uh, you know, 5.56, a.k.a. 2.23. Okay. So now I've got my AR-15. I've got my 2.23 round. Going out. Really hungry. There's a squirrel in the tree. What happens when I shoot the squirrel with the AR-15 round? Poof, not much squirrel left to eat. Deer, it's actually a much better deer round than the gun grabbers would lead you to believe, but it's sure not a good elk or a bear round. And I would be really hesitant to use it on larger white-tailed deer in like the, you know, the, the, the more northern parts of the country where the deer are just bigger in body because they have to cope with snow load and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it does what it does well. So if you say, well, we need to shoot deer. 30-06, 308, whatever, right? You know, a, a, a medium bore center fire or a small, you know, small bore center fire, any of that. Well, again, we're back to, right? It does a great job for what it's designed to do. But now I'm really hungry and I'm hunting and what's around are grouse or pheasants that I have to knock out of the air. 
You see the problem there. Oh, 22, a 22, little 22 long rifle, incredibly versatile tool. I even did a show way, way back in the, 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 the first years of TSP comparing the shotgun and the 22 as a survival tool. And I said they were both fantastic, but the shotgun was better. Because give me something that you could need to kill and put in your mouth and give me a 12 gauge shotgun. And with the right load, I can kill it. If it's a freaking grizzly bear, I'm telling you what, you drop a few, a few full-on foster slugs into that critter, it's going to go down. But yet I can knock a quail, a small quail, out of the air with a shotgun and not destroy it from a standpoint of being able to eat it. I can shoot a rabbit with it. I can shoot a squirrel with it. And I damn sure can shoot big, giant, two-legged rats with them. In fact, I did a... Right. I did a show a long time ago, and somebody sent me a study, and I've used it several times. It was an informal study, but it was basically a guy that collected data. So it would be an empirical study if it was done by a scientist, but it was an informal study done by just a, an independent journalist. And they just tracked all of the, the every single incidence of a human being being shot that they could find in the United States and what the results were. And the number one fight stopper, in other words, not just lethality, but somebody got shot and whatever they were doing to get their ass shot ceased being done was a shotgun. More so than even center fire rifles. Because most of those types, now if you're 200 yards, I get it, but most of the types of conflicts between individuals that result in one individual shooting another individual not on a battlefield are at relatively close range. You want to get a door open? Right load out of a shotgun will get a door open. Maybe it's not because you're kicking a door in because you're an agent of the state going after somebody that's been deemed an enemy of the state. Maybe it's just because you really need to get in that door. I don't know why. You can do that with a shotgun. There's almost nothing that you can't do inside reasonable ranges with a shotgun. And to me, that's why I think it is the most versatile tool available. If you have questions, make sure you put them in all caps. We got one from Jim's Garden. I'll just acknowledge, Jim, I will answer that when I do Q&A at the end. If you do have questions, again, in the live feed, all caps for at least the first couple letters. I'm sorry, first couple words, and that way I'll see them. I'm not going to answer on the fly because if I answer on the fly, I get derailed from the presentation, and it ends up taking longer for the episode to be done. about to start moving really quick here. So let's start off with shot. So shot, when we look at shot, we're talking about, and I'm going to we'll talk about this more in a bit, but I'm going to pull up a, an image that I have for you guys here just because it will help me talk about this. Shot is the little balls that are inside the shell that when you fire the shotgun come out in this great big spray pattern where people think I can just point in the general direction and kill anything. doesn't work that way. Um But you can see right up at the top there, right before the crimp on the shell, a bunch of little BBs. That is, that is what, you know, we call shot. And whenever you look at, uh, shotgun loads, you will see that the shot will be numbered. It'll be eight shot, nine shot, six shot, four shot, two shot. What does this all mean? Is bigger, better, or worse? And there's no better or worse. There's size. And this all breaks. When you get down to one shot and then BB and double BB and triple BB and all that shit. And then buckshot. This all, it all goes to, it all goes to, to piss when you get down to there. But, you know, starting up at like 10 shot down, 
I think there's actually a Dutch shot called 11 shot. I've never actually got my hands on any of it, though that's what's in the uh, 22 shot shells that shoot out of a 22 uh, long rifle. I think that's 11 shot. Um, but for most practical purposes, most people don't go higher than eight shot. I will be talking about decrypting the load information on a box of shells in a bit. And this is a box of nine shot. I actually love doing my dove hunting with nine shot. I'll talk about that when I get there as to why. But pretty much it's point whatever size in inches. So a, a nine shot pellet is point zero nine inches in diameter. That's what it means. And we have a porn spammer who is now gone from our lives. Uh, so point, so eight shot would be point zero eight, seven and a half would be point zero seven five. And then that will dictate into a one ounce load how many pellets will fit into a shell. So you could say if it's a one or one and eighth ounce and you're using seven and a half, you'll have this many pellets. And there's charts. I'm going to have some links for you in the, the show notes that will be available about an hour after the live stream ends where you can look that up if you really care that there's, I believe, 545 number eight pellets in an ounce of shot. It's something like that. It's something to that effect. But basically what you have is the higher the number on your shotgun shot size, not gauge size, shot size, the more pellets there will be to an ounce or ounce and an eighth or seven eighths of an ounce or whatever the load has in it. And therefore, when you fire it, in theory, the more density you will have in the pattern. In other words, you'll have less distance between the pellets as they land. And we're going to talk about patterns in a bit, too, and how there's some myths around that. Um, but that's what shot, and that's what the number means. Basically, bigger number, smaller ball. What exactly does gauge mean, and where does it come from? What does it relate to? It's an incredibly complex thing if you look at the math and the inversion formula to calculate it, and I don't really know the history of, I know what was done, but why exactly it was done, I do not know. I do not know. Uh, and I'm going to give you something that might be more useful to most, most people later, which is going to be, if we're talking a 12 gauge, what caliber would it be if we were, you know, doing it in caliber? And for answer, for example, that answer would be 0.729 caliber. But an easy way to understand is after you go through all this math and all this complications, if you were to make a ball in 12 gauge diameter of, of pure lead, and you had 12 of those balls that were the same diameter in pure lead, and they weighed exactly one pound, the diameter of that ball to make that happen would be 12 gauge. So if you had 16 uniform round pure lead balls that made exactly one pound in total weight, you'd have a 16 gauge, and 20, and so on. 28 would be a 28 gauge. 10 of them would be a 10 gauge. And back in the days where they were murdering as many ducks as they could with hunt guns out of a boat that launched like a freaking cannon, they had down to a two bore or two gauge. What about a 410, you ask? For some reason, we threw away the whole gauge thing and 410 is 41 caliber, it's 41 bore. Alright? It, there's a lot of weird shit like that in the world of shotguns. I've dug into a lot of the history of them, but I have, uh, I have never really dug that deep into why some of these things have happened, but that's just how it works. That's what it all means. And now I want to go, I want to bring that image back up. I want to talk to you about the anatomy of a shot shell. And I, I think this will be 
fairly useful for a lot of folks to, to understand the basics of how a shot shell works. Now, there are different ways of getting the same thing done. Some loads have more, uh, uh, more, uh, wads or, uh, uh, things like that. Um, some have shot cups that double as a wad. I don't think you need to worry that much about it. I think you just need to understand the basics of how a shotgun shell works and what's done with it. Today, almost all of our shotgun shells are made with a plastic uh, for the body, a brass for the cup where the primer and the uh, powder goes, and then there's a crimp at the top that holds everything in. You have a primer, and in this case, we're looking at a federal shell. The primer is known in the industry as a 209 shot shell primer. I had said that earlier in the year, actually last year, I had t- I thought about doing a whole episode on nothing but reloading shotguns, and I didn't do it. And the reason I didn't do it is I'm kind of spoiled with all my reloading supplies because I'm a prepper, and I have tons of reloading su- supplies, and I knew that rifle and pistol primers were in short supply, but I didn't think 209 shot shell primers were. And when I looked up the components and availability, it was during the whole pan pandemic crap, it was almost impossible to get them. So I didn't want to get everybody riled up to do a thing when they couldn't get the stuff necessary to do the thing. So I ended up putting on the back burner and not getting it done. But the primer in a shotgun shell works like the primer in a rifle or a pistol shell. It is ignited by impact. It goes off and it ignites the powder, which sits underneath uh, the wad and possibly uh, the, 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 and the shot cup, depending on how it's done. The shot cup or wad, depending on what you want to call it, basically is a plastic. They, they've made them in the past out of paper and cardboard and other substances. Now they're almost uniformly plastic. And that basically holds the shot together in a nice little package. And then the, you can sometimes have an overshot wad. This particular load doesn't have it, but there could be another wad. It could be paper or cardboard on top of the shot, depending. And then the, the whole entire plastic hole, and they've also made these. I remember in the 80s, still a lot of manufacturers making the holes out of cardboard. And that is crimped to hold everything in. That goes into the shotgun when it's fired. Everything comes out the end. In the image, we also have a slug loading or a single projectile, and you can see how that's loaded. You'll notice that it's not crimped. Uh, this, uh, it, it, it doesn't have the, the same type of crimp, really. It's more crimped with pressure from around the sides. There are loads that are slugs that do have the top folded inward flower crimp like you see on the left side of your screen. And you can actually do those yourself using a particular um, mold of slug from Lee known as a drive key slug, and I'll tell you a little bit about uh, that in the future. There's also some other things that, um, and make sure you guys use it all ca- caps in the, uh, in the questions. I'm trying to go through here and star them. Lots of them are coming in. Uh, there's also something known as buffer. So buffer is basically an inner, inert substance, like a powder-like substance, that sometimes will be used in like certain high-end loads will fill in a space between the shot to give u- more uniform density in the pattern and to supposedly help keep the shot from banging into each other on its way out of the barrel and some other shit like that. I have found some really good high, high-end high 
you know, game loads that do have buffering in the shot, but I'm not sure the buffering is much more than marketing, in my opinion. Uh, in the end, I think it's about the person uh, using the tool and selecting the right choke, the right gauge, the right shot for the job at hand. Uh, moving on, I want to talk to you. I'm glad I thought it was my coffee. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about load information, and I actually needed that, and kind of decrypting when you have a box of shotgun shells in front of you and you're thinking about buying it, and it'll say things, and I'm just going to read what this particular one says. 12 gauge. Okay, that's pretty obvious, and we'll talk about you know exactly how the gauges work in a bit and some opinions on them. Two and three-quarter inches. That's the overall length of the cartridge itself, or the shell itself is really what you should say instead of cartridge. And you'll find that some guns will be limited in their chamber length to two and three-quarters, for instance, with a 12-gauge. And some will allow for a three-inch shell that will often be called a magnum. More on that in a bit. Then it says two and three-quarter gram equivalent. What? The hell does that mean? It's basically, well, how much powder is in each shell? In other words, is this a target load? Is it a game load? Or is it what we call a high brass load? Even if the brass isn't high, you don't necessarily need the brass cup to be all the way up as high as the powder for everything to be okay. I've, I've reloaded things with higher powder loads and what I call a low brass shell before with no problems. But that basically is just how much powder is. It comes from this is all archaic technology, like there's 12 round balls of the same diameter in a 12-gauge. Who the hell would do that? Who? This is archaic stuff. So the DRAM's equivalent is when people first started using shotguns, uh, in many instances they were actually muskets that would be something that would fire, you know, a 72 caliber ball. Or you could load it with shot, like a shotgun, and the loads would be measured in drams, which is a volumetric measurement of black powder. Today, we have smokeless powders, higher pressures, etc., and if you used a dram measuring cup to measure a smokeless powder, you blow your damn gun up and possibly part of your face off. But we still measure the force in shotguns, I guess you would say, muzzle velocity, how much energy we're applying to that shot cup, pushing it out of the barrel, in the equivalent, if it were black powder, how much black powder would it take to do this? And we actually do measure, when we do reloading in a shotgun, the powder by volume, even though it would, and with shotguns, it always is specified in a bushing size, which measures by volume. But whenever we get into measuring smokeless powder in rifles and pistols, we always talk about grains, which is a weight measurement. But all the manufacturers load everything by a volumetric measurement that has been calculated based on the grains of powder. It's all complicated. It's not really a big deal. It doesn't really matter unless you get into loading and then just follow your manual and you'll be fine. But that's where that drams comes from. So the bigger that number, the more powder, probably the higher muzzle velocity, longer it will retain its velocity so it's a more powerful round if it has a bigger number. One and eighth ounce. What is that? That is the amount of shot. So these are one and an eighth ounce of nine shot. This is unfair to doves, and they don't deserve it to be fair because the damn things can fly 60 miles an hour and sometimes faster with a tailwind. But that's all that means. It's not really, and it doesn't matter what it says, right? It could be one ounce of four shot. Okay, then you got one ounce of shot for it. It could be, you know, three drams equivalent. 
And that would mean it would be a more powerful load than this. This is kind of a light target load. Most people would use the load I just rattle off to you uh, as is something that you would shoot uh, ski targets with. It, it's it's the thing that you would you would most use something like this for. Again, most people that are hunters tend to because I I break the rule kind of call it as a, eight shot in down when we're shooting birds and things like that. And there are some general rules. Like most people when they're out in the field hunting pheasants are going to be shooting somewhere six number six to seven and a half shot. As people get into shooting waterfall and ducks, they're a little bit tougher. Uh, so you're going to be looking at moving into the four to six shot range. Remember, lower number, bigger, b- bigger BB, less BBs, but more damage from each one. People get into shooting things like geese. They move into twos or maybe BBs or something like that. So the larger the animal, the lower the number, the bigger the BB, but then you have less density of pattern. So when you're out shooting geese, I think a lot of people don't realize this. Generally, when we're out shooting like Canadian geese, snow geese, and things like that, we tend to, instead of leading the whole bird, you've got this bird flying with this head and neck that's about, you know, it's actually a bigger target than a dove. And if unless you're in a, an angle of that bird where you can't really see it, that's what you're shooting at. You shoot at the head because pellets into the head and neck, that sucker's going down. And you'll end up with pellets in the body, but that's kind of what we key in on there. We look at things like our friend, uh, the, the furry-tailed tree rat, the squirrel, surprisingly tough critters. And so I usually, when I was out targeting squirrels, if I had my shotgun, I was shooting six-shot. And it all kinds of just bounces around in there. What do you need? You can look up formulas and tables. I have some pretty good articles linked to so you can get a better idea of it. But that's, that's all there is to it with kind of understanding Shot size, drams equivalent, how a shotgun shell works, it's really not that hard. High brass and magnums real quick. So magnum is stronger. Well, maybe. Um, generally what magnums do is they give you the ability, what we generally call a magnum, they give you the ability to use a longer cartridge, a longer sh- uh, shot shell. So that means we can put more material in it. And it may or may not mean that we've put a lot more powder in. We may not have put much more powder in at all. Like what you'd call a high brass two and three quarter inch uh, game load won't have much more powder if we have kind of this, a similar load in a three inch magnum. What it will have is the room to fit more shot in there, more pellets, which means you're going to have a heavier payload, which means more energy. You know, all all actions have an equal and opposite reaction, more of that equal and opposite reaction into your shoulder. So the reason when you go from, let's say, a two and three quarter inch number four load high brass to a two and three quarter inch number four load three inch magnum, you get more recoil is because you're putting more lead out. You're moving more weight, more so than you've used more powder because we can use plenty of powder in that two and three quarter inch shell. High brass is kind of a term that just basically means it's it's more powerful than your typical gamer target load. And the term comes from the fact that most of the shells, let me grab a shell out of here for those on the video. When you look at the shell itself, this is what you would call, of course, low brass, right? So it's got a little bitty bit of brass on the, on the, the, the uh, powder cup down there at the bottom. And a high brass might come up to about, yeah. And it's, it's, it's just because that gives it more integrity with dealing with that more powerful pow- amount of powder in there. And it's just a term that I think 
hunters and, and shotgun shooters came up with. It's high brass. But again, you could have that high brass without having a longer shell that would be the magnum. So when you hear all of that, that's all that it is. It's just the shell's a little bit longer. So then do you call it a magnum? I don't know. I mean, I've never heard anybody refer to three-inch 410 shells as magnums because it's a 410. But technically, it's the same thing. So that's high brass magnum. That's all that means. Moving on, um, let's take a look at some shotgun actions and say a little bit uh, about what I think about them. And uh, I'm asking some questions now for you guys on the video feed. What's your favorite gauge? I want to start out with a brake action shotgun. And these can be double or single. And if they are a double barrel, they can be a side-by-side double, meaning the two barrels are side-by-side with each other. Or they can be an under and over, meaning the configuration is so one barrel is over the other. This is a single shot. Uh, this is a pretty cool little shotgun made by a company called Midland. This is a very old design for a single shot shotgun. And I think this was made originally by Ithaca. And the patent came off of it a few years ago. And Midland and some others started to make it. I'm going to show you what makes it cool. Uh, so a single shot or a double break action shotgun is that the action breaks and that when you release it one way or another, you actually pull the barrel down and then you can load the shell into the barrel from the, the rear the breach of, of the weapon. And a spider just, oh, he's dead too. Spider just fell off my shotgun. And uh, then it, of course, closes, and then that will allow you to fire the, the weapon once or in the case of a double barrel twice, you'll have to open it. It will either be uh, an action that you have to, Remove the shell manually or it will auto eject. Most, most, most guns today auto eject. In other words, you open it, it throws the shell out for you. This guy has a pretty good, uh, tosser there. And then you add another shell or two shells and you fire again. Incredibly dead freaking simple. Been around forever. Probably from my research, as far as I can tell, the first shotguns that weren't muzzle loading were these of one form or another. Back in the day, every farmer and homesteader and everybody had a double barrel behind the door, etc. And a lot of mythology got built around those. But what makes this little guy so cool is you can see it's a very short barrel, right? And then it's actually designed so that it folds like it will. this will fit in a backpack. This is a 12-gauge. They make them in 2016 and 410. Uh, somebody had already asked about... Um, uh, inserts where you can fire 20 gauge, etc. uh, in like I can fire 20 gauge shells in a 12 gauge shotgun with an insert. I love those things. Uh, we actually have a, a discount with gun adapters for you guys that are, uh, members of the MSB and, uh, those are great. But in the, in the end, I think it's best when you buy a shotgun to buy what you want. Now, the thing about a lot of the, Singles and doubles, often they can have interoperability with other gauge barrels, but that tends to not be the case. And it tends to not be the case for most of what's made today and most of the, the, the better weapons in the past. The receiver for a 16 and 20 would be the same, and it would be slightly larger and heavier for your 12s and your 10s. So that made interoperability not a thing. Now, people like uh, New England Firearms, H&R, uh, et cetera, had made this the, all the guns on the same frame and had a barrel program like that. So something you can look into. Anyway, that's that's your single shot or your your, your double barrel if you want to call it that. Break action, 
Really, really simple. Moving on, let's talk about pump action. Pump actions are actually my favorite action in a shotgun. Um, I have, I probably like pumps over everything else because I grew up shooting a Remington 870 12-gauge. Uh, my first gun, my first shotgun anyway, was a Sears and Roebuck single shot 20 gauge. And I shot that until I got my first real shotgun. That was kind of like a loner gun from, that had been in the family forever. And I have to say that little 20 gauge, as light as it was with a single shot, beat the crap out of me, but I didn't care because I wanted to shoot. I wanted to learn. When I got that 870, it was like, It was like learning to drive in some piece of shit jalopy, like a Chevy Monza, if you know what that is or something. And then somebody pulling up in like an IROC Z Camaro and handing you the keys and say, here you go, kid, give this one a spit. It was, it was incredible in how it pointed, how it responded, et cetera. And I got to where I was probably as fast with a pump action as a semi-auto when I was hunting with like my uncles and great uncles and fr their friends and stuff like that. This is a really simple, beautiful little gun. And I'm going to talk about buying a gun toward the end. And I'm going to tell you, do not ever hesitate to buy used shotguns, especially pumps, brake actions and things like that. They're often great deals at gun shows and even gun stores on them. This is a Mossberg in 410. When I found this, I think I paid 260 bucks for it. And it is in beautiful shape for those that can see it. It is, it's also old as crap. It's, it was made in the 70s. And, um, I saw what the guy wanted immediately. Just, I didn't haggle. I didn't do anything. He's like, here, here's the money. I want to buy it. I bought it. And you know, you're at a gun show. So they have a tie wrap through it and whatever. And so I'm walking around. I found it like as soon as I got there and I'm walking around this gun, gun show. And I had offers for $100 more than I paid for it yelled at me. Hey, sir, do you want to sell? Like, I eventually took it out and put it in my trunk and locked it in a case in the trunk because I wanted to be left alone for the rest of the freaking gun show. It, 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 it's funny that they sit on a table and nobody's interested, but somebody's walking around with it and everybody, I guess, wants to use the gun show loophole. But I think in this case, what they really wanted was a beautiful little pump action 410. I absolutely love the 410. And we can talk more about gauge and selection of gauge and stuff like that in the future. But a lot of people think the 410 is really like the shotgun to teach kids with. I don't agree. I don't agree. I think a well-fitting, um, good ergonomical 20-gauge, unless you're talking about a really small-framed young shooter, Something like a youth model 20-gauge 870 Remington, 24-inch barrel. That's what you start your, your 10, 12, you know, 11-year-old, 13-year-old kid with. Because, again, when I think back to shooting that 20-gauge in a single shot, it beat my ass. And, and Josh is saying 410 is great for kids. It's great for kids in that it's comfortable to shoot. But I'll tell you, some of the high brass 410 loads, because we're, again, we're pushing out a smaller payload of lead that reduces recoil to a degree, but we're actually getting a, a hot load in a 410 will have more muzzle velocity than a target load in a 20 gauge. And it can have a bit of a snap on a young shooter. You know, regular sized adult doesn't notice it, but it's, 
It's there. The problem with the 410 for kids is that most of the youth model 410s come with a full choke, and we'll talk about what that means. It, it, sorry for turning away from the mic. Most of them come in a full choke, uh, and we'll talk about some issues with that. But to me, the 410 is a expert's tool. It's an expert's tool. I think it's part of why I enjoy shooting with it, because it requires more precision, because you have less shot, so you have less density, so you have to be more on your target. Now, we'll talk later about how like being within six feet, shit like that, not going to happen. Doesn't work. But it, you have to be a better shot with a 410 than a 12. I consider myself a very good shotgun shot. Some of you guys, I recognize some names here, have been with me uh, out shooting. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not BSing when I say I'm a pretty good shot. But all things being equal, you let someone, unless they have a problem with recoil, shoot 25 ski, 25 sporting clays, whatever, with a 12 gauge, and then do the same thing with a 20 or a 410, their numbers will go down, which is bad. This ain't golf. The higher the number, the better. You want 25 out of 25 for a perfect round. Their numbers will go down as their gauge goes down. And this is just how I feel about it with kids. I want that young person to get excited. And nothing gets a young person excited with a gun like hits. And a, a 20-gauge uh, you know, field load, sporting load, a target load, light load, in the hands of a, a kid big enough to shoot a shotgun right in the first place is not going to beat them up. It's not going to hurt them. And they are going to, they are going to hit, uh, more consistently with a 20 gauge. And that way they're going to get more, they're going to get more out of it. They're going to stay more into it. They're going to want to shoot more. And even in a lot of times when you're knocking down targets with a 410, you'll notice you're like breaking a target versus shattering a target. And it's just because, again, that payload, there's less of that payload. But I love the 410, and I love the pump. And if it's a pure raw, get as many shots out as fast as you can, yes, the person with a semi-auto can do that quicker. If you're actually accurate, I can't say that there's much difference in wing shooting with a shotgun with a pump versus a semi-auto. On that, here's a semi-auto. This is a very old shotgun. This is a Browning A5, uh, Belgian-made, made in the 1950s. This was acquired and may have been quite acquired in a barter deal. I'll just say that. And uh, a semi-auto shotgun is like a semi-auto rifle. You pull the, pull the trigger, one shot goes off. The action comes back, ejects the shell, feeds the next shell in. You pull the trigger again, it fires again. What I like about semi-autos, right, what I like about semi-autos is that they are easier on the shoulder and the face and the body than pumps or single shots or doubles because the action absorbs some of the recoil Not to the level that like the buffer tube and all does inside an AR-15, but there is definitely some of that. They are quick for follow-up. And in a self-defense situation, there's always the potential that you've been injured. Right? And I mean, we're not all going to be out Charles Bronsoning with one hand and whatever, but that's a, 
That's a legitimate possibility in a defensive situation. If you're shooting at somebody, that to me means, you know, unless you're being asked to kick a door down or something by authority, somebody's probably shooting at you. So the fact that you can fire the weapon without having to operate the pump, I think that's a big advantage. Capacity, not so much because most comparable pumps and semi-autos have the same amount of capacity. Generally, without an extended magazine, your pumps and your semi-autos will be uh, a three-shot proposition, one in the chamber, two in the magazine. If you remove the plug, now we can fit four in the magazine, one in the chamber, so five shots, hence auto five with that shotgun. What's the plug about? Uh, fishing game regulations, and it may or may not apply in your state, but in many states when you're out hunting birds and small game with a shotgun, uh, what they say is that you... Uh, you can only have uh, a certain number of shells in your gun, so it has to be plugged to make sure that you're not cheating. So that means you only get so many shots for follow-up. I would tell you that this all goes back. Remember I was talking about all the archaic shit with shotguns and two gauges or two bores and punt guns? Punt guns were so big, they literally mounted them in the front of a boat, and they had like a three-foot barrel, and they looked like a little cannon. And what they would do is they would get in these boats. This is before a lot of the regulations on, on, on fishing game were put in place in the United States, and these guys would float on lakes and rivers where there were huge flocks of ducks, and they would shoot at water level off the bow of the boat trying to kill as many ducks with one shot as they could. This was not sporting. This was meat harvest. And a lot of it was being done at the time for market. You would go out and kill 10,000 birds a season and sell them into the marketplace. So a lot of regulations about, like, you can't hunt with a two-bore. Who the hell would, right? Or, you know, you have to limit the, 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 the shell capacity. They go back this time when there was major abuse of a natural resource. Because the reality is if you have... Three shots and an, and, an, and an auto or a pump or five, and you're in a dove field. By the time you get to the third shot, if you're going to keep shooting, you're wasting ammo because those guys fly away when you shoot at them, and there's probably nothing in the world that is sim as simple to hunt as a dove but embarrasses more shotgunners more times every year than a dove. Those little guys can, like I said, with a tailwind, they can get over 60 miles an hour. So... I don't think it really matters, but you don't want to get arrested by the rabbit sheriff and cited and things like that. So that's why the plugs come in. Um, there's also regulations about like certain places are, you know, special regulation areas or when you're some states, just anytime you're hunting waterfowl, you can't use lead shot. You have to use steel shot because of lead poisoning. Or whatever. It's all nonsense. Um, there's a bunch of special regulations areas when I was growing up in Pennsylvania, when you were hunting ducks or geese, You had to use steel shot. When you were hunting anything else, woodcock, uh, squirrels, rabbits, grouse, you could use lead shot in the same place. It's, it's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Nothing's as good as lead. Use lead if you can and use specialty stuff that we won't get into today if you have to, like tungsten and things like that. Um, there you go. Uh, and next up, there is also... Bolt-action shotguns and lever-action shotguns. I'm not going to go deep into them today, except to say they do have their purpose. I, I I didn't get it down when I went upstairs to get those other guns today because I didn't feel like bringing it down. But I have an old Mossberg bolt-action 16-gauge that has an adjustable choke on the outside of the barrel, one of those. I love that gun. I shoot, double ski, I shoot doubles and skeet with that gun. 
Uh, actions are all what you make of them. I've never owned a, a lever action shotgun, but I kind of feel like I should at some point in my life. It just seems like something uh, uh, that I should have uh, at some point. So let's talk a little bit about uses for shotguns. Small game is probably the number one use. And the beauty and the versatility of the shotgun is, again, we can take any one of these shotguns back here, and we can use it on one gun on a multitude of game. And one of the things that's really made that possible is chokes that are changeable. We'll get to in a minute. We have a little screw-in choke here we'll talk about. But small game, big game, generally we're going to move up to slugs for big game. Buckshot is called buckshot because people shoot deer with it. I've seen relatively close, good hits on normal-sized adult deer, not big super giant main deer or something like that, with double O buck, and that animal runaway crippled. I'm not a fan of it. Not for deer. Unless you're really going to limit your range and you're going to be using a full choke that we'll get to in a minute. If you're going to hunt big game for the most part, With a shotgun, I recommend stepping up to slugs, and there's a lot of different options with those. But it's if you can, if your weapon's accurate and you can shoot it well, it's hard to beat a 72 caliber freaking or 77, sorry, 72 caliber Foster slug and have a 12 gauge. It's a big chunk of over one ounce of lead. Sporting clays, skeet, etc. That's one of my favorite things. That's my jam. I actually just found a really cool uh, sporting clays range. It does full-on events, like corporate-style events, have wine after we shoot and stuff like that, guys. Not far from my house. I'm thinking about putting together some TSP-style get-together events. Those that you don't own shotguns, you'll be able to rent guns and buy ammo right there to shoot at them. I have a lot of fun with, with shooting clays. Uh, the difference between skeet and clays in general, we're going to say sporting clays, is skeet, trap, etc. You're pretty much standing in a location. You might have different ways those targets are thrown, and these are clay targets that you know that you hit because they break, they shatter, etc. But you pretty much stay in one place, and there's nothing in your way, and you maybe you have some crossing shots or something like that, but you're going to just say pull, target gets thrown, you shoot at it, you break it. I find it kind of boring. Uh, also, most people, when shooting uh, that way, trap and skeet, they shoot with what we'd call the gun up, meaning that you have the gun up in your shoulder, with your face already down, uh, locked on the stock when you call pull. I know that's the rules of the game. I don't do it. I think if you want to be a better shot, you shouldn't either. You don't walk through the dove field like that. You don't walk through uh, the timber in, in, in the mountains of Pennsylvania hunting rough grouse like that. You carry the gun, you know, uh, at port ready, basically, and you have muzzle discipline, you make sure you're not pointing it at the dog or your buddy and what have you, and when that bird takes off, that rabbit jumps out, you have to bring that gun up, get a sight picture, acquire the target, and shoot the target in the time that you have to do it. So I don't pink on, pick on anybody for it, but I kind of laugh at you in the background when I see you doing it. Uh, I always shoot with the gun at a position like I would be carrying it because I think that's more that's more beneficial. Now, I guess if you're shooting in a competition and there's money on the line, you know, you take every advantage you have. But when I shoot, that's how I shoot. Um, 
Sporting clays is like shotgun golf, except for number go down is bad. You want number go up, right? So sporting clays, you'll actually walk to different stations, and those stations will be more like you would experience in the actual field hunting. And you might come up to a station, and it's a double inbound. So you have two clays coming inbound, but one might come before the other, or one might be on a different angle than the other. You have two out or crossing Some of them actually will bounce the clay across the ground as though you're shooting at a rabbit. Um, there will be things in the way, branches, trees, et cetera. It's like actually hunting or closer to it. And that's what I prefer to do. I find it to be a lot more fun, a lot more engaging. You know, you shoot with a partner. You walk in between stations. It's a lot like golf, except I don't like golf. And I would encourage you, if you want to become a better shotgunner, to me, that is that is the place to, to hone your skills. Uh, there's all kinds of comments going on in the, in the, in the uh, chat here, guys. It's great. Uh, then there's defensive and offensive use of the shotgun. And this is again why I think the shotgun is the most universal prepper tool there is. Everything I just said, you can improve your skills. You can put food on the table, whether it's a deer roast or it's some tree rats. But I'm going to tell you, and this is not, not a knock on handguns. I, I have nothing against Handguns. This is not a knock on ARs. I own plenty of ARs. There is nothing that makes somebody coming through your, your door any more dead than a shotgun with number four buck. And all that stuff I said about, uh, not being a fan of buckshot at home defense ranges, all of that goes away. And if I'm going to use buck, I like number four buck over double O or triple O buck. It's smaller, but because of just the way spheres work inside a container, double O buck, I believe you end up with something like eight pellets in a two and three quarter, eight or nine pellets in a two and three quarter inch shell. You get almost double in the same size shell the number of pellets when you go to number four buck, which is about 22 caliber if I remember right. So if you want to go get hit with more than 20 rounds of 22 long rifle at one time at close range, you go ahead and do it. I don't think it's going to work out really well. And I really became sold on number four buck during my raccoon scotch infused murder sprees. So back when I lived in Arkansas, we had raccoons that would come tear stuff apart all the time. And I'm like, there's too many of them. We have a deer feeder. When they run out the deer feeder, they're coming up here. They're smashing your, my wife told her they're smashing the bird feeders. Uh, I don't want to kill them all, but we have to like cull the population of raccoons. And she didn't want to do it. And I had built her a beautiful garden to plant tulips in. And she planted, I think that year, something like 250 tulip bulbs. And they came up and they were all beautiful and they went through their flower cycle and what have you. And then we came out one morning and over half of the tulip bulbs were pulled out of the ground. Raccoons don't eat tulip bulbs, but apparently they were fascinated by them and pulled all the tulip bulbs out because they were dicks. She said, kill them. So this resorted in uh, a, a hobby of occasionally at night making a little sniper nest in the window, and I'd be in one window and Dorothy would be in the other, and she'd have a glass of wine and I'd have a glass of scotch, and we would pop a couple raccoons before we went to bed after we turned all the lights off and all they would show up almost immediately. First one I ever shot, shot it in the ear hole with a 22, which I thought was a good way to go in the night, in the dark, and late at night, not disturbing the neighbors. 
And since it was a 22 with a, you know, low power scope and the range I was at, I, I know it went in the ear hole because I saw the freaking round impact the ear hole. So not wanting to leave it sit out overnight, I went out to get it in the dark, in the rain, in the mud, in the red clay, and the steep embankment on the other side of my deck, and the raccoon went zombie, came back to life, and tried to bite me in the cojones. And I ended up stabbing it with my Patrick Rorman neck knife, true story, no more 22. I switched to using that little Mossberg back there with number four buck. And the only thing those buggers did when they were hit with that was just go out, and just go out quick. And it, it made me... A tremendous fan of it. And if you read the work of Peter Hathaway Capstick, who is one of the premier um, authors and hunters, and i got to find my power cord here. I didn't realize this laptop's not plugged in, guys. We're going to have power problems here if I let this continue. Um, this is a guy that routinely, when he had hunters out, you know, would wound a leopard and a leopard runs off in the woods. And now you got to go, he had this like, neck guard thing to protect his neck and, and, and all the shit he would put on because, you know, you could get tore up. And he would go off in the bush after a pissed-off, angry, wounded leopard, and he always carried a shotgun number four buck. And so all that together, if you're going to use buck, to me, that's where to go. And that is my personal choice for self-defense at-home use of the shotgun is number four. Chokes and their uses, let's go through that really quick. What's cool is that today we have these adjustable chokes. They're a little screw-in tubes like the one I'm holding for those in the video. And the way this works, this actually goes into, where is that? Single shot. And uh, inserts into the barrel at the end and then screws in, and there's a little tool to make sure that it's tight. And this is the constriction of the shot. And basically, the tighter the constriction, the uh, the more dense the pattern that you're going to get. And there are other chokes been made for marketing purposes and legitimate purposes, but your primary chokes are cylinder bore. That's basically the loosest choke. There's what's known as a skeet choke. It's a little bit of constriction from a cylinder bore. And you'll find most of the cylinder bore stuff is in, like, your Mossberg 500 home defense shotgun. Maximum spread at the ranges that you use it for. It doesn't even matter. Okay. Um, skeet is a legitimate choke for kind of a general all purpose. Then there's something called an improved cylinder. It's a little bit tighter. And then you have after improved cylinder modified and you'll find most of your double barrel shotguns made before removable and adjustable chokes, the shotgun was an improved cylinder and a modified. Because overall, they're probably your two most versatile all-around chokes. Again, you get a tighter choke, you have a little bit more range, a little bit more density. You have a looser choke, you have a little bit more open pattern, a little bit more forgiveness on how accurate you have to be to hit the target. Yeah? And a lot of times when guys are out in the field, maybe they're shooting birds and they're shooting ducks, and they're shooting a modified choke, but the wind's kicked up a bit, the birds are moving a little faster, staying a little further out, and they'll switch to an improved modified, a little bit tighter, and you go from improved modified to full. But all that is is constriction. And you might think, well, then full's the best. Well, no, full. Let's say we take our number, even our number nine shot here, full choke, 
12-gauge shotgun, and we go quail hunting over dogs. Dog points the quail, give the dog the command, dog jumps the quail out, 15 feet away, little quail jumps up, you're even disciplined, you let him get another 10 feet out, poof. You, you just got a pile of feathers and guts. Now we drop down to a 20 gauge, we go to an improved cylinder choke, we go to a light load. Now we can pop that little bird and have something to put in the game bag and eat. So all of this is based on what we're shooting, where we're shooting, at the time we're shooting, the environmental conditions we're shooting, and what we're trying to accomplish. We're hunting turkeys. You don't shoot turkeys out of the air. We call turkeys in. They're walking around on the ground. You shoot them in the head. That's where you're going to see some of these, these chokes that people have now are like extra full and things like that. They want to extend that range shooting a big gobbler. And since there's always going to be a ground shot, and because you're always going to be shooting a, a, a tight choke, you're always going to basically be aiming that shotgun like you're aiming a rifle. Home defense, improved cylinder, skeet, cylinder, all of it's fine. In fact, all of it's fine anyway, because I want to dispel the myth that, you know, you can just point it in their general direction and pull the trigger. You can take a fairly loose choke, improved cylinder. Average home defense situations are between 7 and 15 feet. So 15 feet on the outside. You point an improved cylinder choke at a piece of paper to pat pattern it at 15 feet, and it's going to look like about the size of your fist, and it'll have a few flyers around it. You do it with a full choke, and it will look like your fist minus the pinky from the knuckle up with a few flyers around it. At that range, it won't matter very much. So I don't think it's as important as people make it out to be. And I think this idea that if I have a cylinder bore, it's going to spray the whole door and kill the bad guy is just nonsense. And you should always shoot a shotgun with the same attempt at precision, just more instinct, that you do a rifle. All right. On the gauges, let's just real quick give you the breakdown on the caliber. 10 gauge is 77.775 caliber. 12 gauge, 72.9 caliber. 16 gauge is 66 caliber. 20 gauge is 61 caliber. 28 gauge, 55 caliber. And 410 is 0.41 caliber. It's the outlier, like I said earlier. As far as choosing a gauge, Capstick, who I mentioned earlier about his writings on Africa, he also worked for Sports Afield as a writer for, I think, over a decade after he quit hunting in Africa while he was living in Florida. And he wrote an article that I read that I didn't like the title, but I had to agree with every word of it. And he said, and it was anything the 20 gauge can do, the 12 gauge can do better. Because we can always, we can always load down the 12 in power and choke, but we can also always go up with it and you'll always have more pellets. You'll always have more density and you'll always have more range. And I agree, except for something that a lot of people overlook. Carrying something around in the field all day long, a pound, pound and a half of weight starts to matter, especially when it's not on your body, but in your hands and in your arms. And a lot of, like I said earlier, a lot of the frames, whether they're doubles, singles, pumps, the frames for the 20s are smaller and they're lighter. And they're, to me, they're more comfortable to carry long term. But but I agree with that. I, I think that it is all about what you prefer. I don't discount the 20 gauge for home defense either. If you think being hit with a a, a seven eighth ounce sixty one caliber hunk of lead at ten feet isn't gonna do the job, 
I think you're in denial of physics and reality. And often when it comes to like defensive training, moving and shooting and follow-up shots and things like that, the person who's good with a, tw a 12 is awesome with a 20. Absolutely awesome with a 20. It, they actually have greater ability to, to shoot under stressful situations with a smaller, lighter frame weapon with less recoil. And I think both of them are more than, more than adequate. If you made me pick one, you have to have, you pick your own model and make, but you have to pick a gauge. I'd pick a 12 because it is the most versatile of them. Uh, when you're choosing a shotgun, what should you look at? I think first and foremost, what do you want it to do? Um, that little 410 is a Mossberg 500. You know, you've seen like the common Mossberg 500 that is black stock. 18-inch barrel, extended magazine, looks tactical, right? Has a place to mount your flashlight or whatever. It's a great home defense shotgun. It's a great home defense shotgun. You know what it's terrible at? Hunting rough grouse in the timber in the northeastern United States. It's just not just not good. You can do it. You can put a different barrel on it if you want to, but it, ergonomically, it's just not configured for that. You know, one of the most beautiful things you can stand in a dove field with, other than that little mozzie hack there, if you, if you, if you have the cojones to face the morning dove with a 410, a, uh, Beretta white wing over and under 20 gauge. You could stand there all day holding it. It never feels heavy in your hands. It points beautifully. It's great. Would it work for home defense? Sure. Is it great for home defense? No. Could you throw some full choke tubes in it and use it for hunting turkeys? Yes. Would a shorter-barreled, more purpose-built gun for turkey hunting probably be better? Probably. So what is your main goal for the gun? That's number one. Number two, what budget do you have? You know that really cool Belgian white wing over and under 20 gauge? Yes, yeah, about $2,000. Do you have $2,000? Do you want to spend $2,000 on a shotgun? Uh, I... I, I generally do not, but I might do it once in my life or something I really want, right? So if you only have a few hundred bucks and you want a home defense shotgun, go to a gun show, find a used Mozzie 500, and pick it up for a couple. You know, you, you maybe if you got 300 bucks, you might be able to buy quite a bit of ammunition and other things to go with it. Sometimes those things sell really cheap. Sometimes they sell really cheap brand new. Okay, so what what budget and what do you want to do with it? those? Are my first two questions. What weapons do you already own? You're fixing to get a shotgun. Do you have a good field shotgun? Like a good general purpose, small game shotgun, like really purpose built for it? Then you might want to look like something specialized for waterfowl or something specialized for turkey hunting. If you're going to do that or something specialized for home defense. If you have a home defense shotgun, you, unless you want one for like your wife or your kid because he's got no, you don't probably need another one. So always, you know, figure in what do you have? Do you have a good center fire rifle? Then a shotgun that is going to work well as a slug gun with some of the modern Sabo slugs or something like that with rifle sights on it may not be that important to you. So now you might be more willing to look at a double. Here's why. Let's say you went out and bought yourself a, just a decent, brand new Remington 870 general purpose shotgun for, for hunting. That was your, your primary goal. You know, it takes about Five seconds to unscrew the retaining nut and pull the barrel off that sucker. You know, you can buy a barrel for it. And we slap another barrel on it and put it on there, you got a whole new gun. That could be a rifled slug barrel designed to shoot Sabo slugs with iron sights on it. Or it could have a cantilever on it for mounting a scope. Cool, huh? Great. But if you, if you generally hunt deer 
with a 30-06 or a 308 or a 270 or a 280 or whatever, do you really care? So now you may not give a shit about that ability in the future. So now you might move more back toward the bread or white wings of the world or something like that. You want more class. So it's what you want to do plus what you already have the capability to do. And what the hell do you want, right? Uh, Gooley says he has a bolt action Savage 16 gauge still hunts with it. I understand. Brandon says he has to buy another shotgun. Maybe the shotgun lobby should pay me some money for my shows. I don't know. Um, consider fit as it relates to function as well. So, you know, that, 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 uh, Beretta white wing. Do you know what I love about that? The fit into the function. The reason I bought one, I was in a gun store and I, when I, I use that term loosely, I was in Academy sports and outdoor and I was talking to a friend of mine who was there with me. We were picking up fish and shit. And the guy hears me talking about always wanting to buy a nice double. And when I was saying nice double, I was talking about one I would never buy, like a custom made, you know, $10,000 hand engraved double. And by the way, back then when I bought it, it was, they were like 1100. They're a lot more now. So they've gone up in value over the years. And this guy hears me and he says 10 or 20. And I think, Oh boy, here we go. Gun expert at Academy. You're not going to find many of them, you know? And I said, honestly, with that, a 20 gauge. So he reaches and he hands me this thing and I put it up and I went, Oh my, that feels like I went and had a gunsmith fit this thing to my body length of pull the way that the fit and i looked at the fit and finish on i'm like this is not a ten thousand dollar gun but god this is a beautifully done gun for the price and i ended up buying it that day he got me um that's about the the fit as it relates to the function so i'm looking for something different out of a tactical shotgun than i am out of something that i'm going to shoot doves with or I'm going to carry on, you know, the, the hunt I do probably once every five years, I get to go out for quail or something like that behind dogs. I'm taking that friggin' white wing if I do that because it has that fit to function. Last, again, I've said this, don't discount the 20 gauge. Don't discount the 410. Don't discount the sweet 16. Like, don't be a snob. Don't be like 12 is the only game in town, things like that. As far as reloading, as I said, I was going to talk about this back during the scamdemic. A lot of people were asking things they could do for themselves, and I was getting tons of emails from you guys and comments and things like that. Oh, we got another porn spammer and blocked. <laughs> I need to make some of you guys uh, into moderators or something for me to help with that. So anyway, and about especially small pistol magnum primers and large rifle primers. Like, I can't get any, I can't find any, and, and people are asking about reloading at the same time, and I'm like, I know, I'll do a show on reloading shotgun shells because all this stuff is so cool, and, like, it improves your versatility even more. So I went to see if I could find 209 sh uh, shot shell primers, which are the, the primers on, on a shell like this, and they were almost impossible to get. I checked today... And apparently that supply crunch is pretty much gone. You can buy them. They cost more than they used to, but you can get them. And then the powder and the shot and all, that was never really that hard to get. And the beauty is these things are re reusable. we got another freaking porn spammer here. All right. Wow, man, we are attracted. What is it with shotguns and porn? <laughs> these people have weird kink going on. Now I'm having trouble getting rid of them. Give me a second, guys. Okay, they're going now. Anyway, um, yeah. So 
I apologize for this. So anyway, um, with reloading, it's one of those things I think people get afraid to do it. They think they're going to blow themselves up or something. Let me tell you, it is a very safe hobby to get involved with. Get a good manual to go along with whatever equipment you buy. Follow known loads and even load, reloading pistol and rifle and stuff like that. If you, if you do that, you are highly unlikely to overload something to the point where it's actually dangerous and going to damage your, your, your gun or what have you. It's, it's almost impossible, almost impossible to do unless you do it on purpose with a shotgun. It really is. Um, there's inherent safety in shotgun reloading in that every shotgun press, so the device you actually use to get the shell reloaded, is either in the case of Lee with the load all, which I recommend is a great starting set, um, uses bushings, which are a fixed cavity measuring device that you put inside the charge bar, and that is going to determine how much shot and how much powder goes into the shell. It's almost impossible to double load anything using this type of equipment. Um, and there's not a lot that really can go wrong if you follow the instructions. Definitely wear safety glasses because it is highly probable that in some instance you could ignite a primer during a seating or something like that, and that would pose a risk mostly to your eyes. It's not really going to really harm you much other than that. So make sure that you're you're following that advice as well. Um, but definitely look at getting into reloading if you shoot with any regularity. I've taken flack for my support of Lee reloading equipment. Let me explain my support of Lee reloading equipment. It works really good. The only negative is that it tends to be slower than the competition. And all in, it will cost somewhere in the neighborhood of one-third, depending on what we're talking about, to maybe 10% of the cost of getting into reloading any other way. When it comes to shot shell reloading with Lee Lodals, they come with all the bushings, all the shot and powder bushings. If you buy something like an MEC, every time you want to do a different load, you have to buy what's called a different charge bar. So you buy this entire apparatus to change the size of the cavity where the load all just has their plastic bushings. It, it doesn't need to be Swedish tool steel to measure shot or to measure powder. It comes with all of them and then loading data so you can load everything for the gauge you've bought. And they sell all in for about 80 to 90 bucks shipped. A mid-level... And I, this would be where I would go if you want to go higher up. The MEC 600 Junior sells for about $400. It's a progressive press, meaning that instead of loading a shell all the way through, and now I've done one, each shell has a station, and it goes around a rotary, and it pops out at the last one after it's crimped. So it is faster. If you shoot sporting clays three or four times a week, and you want to... Uh, really cut the cost of your ammunition by reloading, and you're going to reload high volume, hundreds of rounds a week, by all means get a progressive press and maybe step up to like the uh, the MEC 856-7, right? That's, that's where I would go if I wanted real high-capacity loading. If you're going to load a few boxes a week or less, 
or maybe one weekend a month, you're going to sit down and load four boxes of shells. You will not feel encumbered by the load all at all in its speed. It is not that slow. And there's tons of videos on how to use it. What's made it even better, what's made it even better is the body of them are all the same. And Lee always trying to provide value. They now have conversion kits. Meaning if you own the 12, you can get a conversion kit and you can convert it and it doesn't take long to do to load 20 gauge and you can load 16. So you can do 12, 20 or 16 out of the box with one of the Lee load alls. I would only say that the conversion kits are not that much cheaper than buying a completely new one. So if you loaded 12 and 20, I would probably for the sake of having life be easy, buy one of each instead of being going back and forth between them. Unless you occasionally load one and often load the other, then the conversion kit might be the way to go. Uh, but that's just something I've Now, my problem with Lee, Lee, why won't you make us a reloader for 410 shells? Please. Because it's counterintuitive, but you know what's expensive? 410 shells. 410 shells are really expensive for a box. It's It's ridiculous how much they are. And as someone that loves the 410, it kind of hurts my heart that Lee, that I've done so much for over 14 years, um, yeah, you won't make us a 410 shell. Lee also makes slug and buckshot molds if you're into casting lead. I don't think you save that much doing it, but it's a fun hobby. And they make something called a drive key slug. And as far as I know, it is the only easy to reload with standard reloading equipment slug for shotgun shells. And you can look it up. It's kind of hard to explain uh, without having one in front of me. I don't cast lead, so I don't have one around, but they're pretty cool. I've heard reports of them being very accurate, reports of them being not so accurate, whatever. I think for what they are, they're pretty cool. And you can also cast your own buckshot with lead tools as well. So what I want to do now, I want to go through the starred stuff here. And hopefully I didn't, I mean, this stuff was coming in fast today, so hopefully I didn't miss it. Uh, but Jim says, what is your current feeling on gun adapters? Are they worthwhile? Yes. And we have gunadapters.com in the MSB with a discount. Uh, I was, and I have a full set of different gun adapters for that little single shot. Um, and I love them. They have limitations. You're shooting a shotgun with a bead and now you're firing a pistol or a low pressure rifle round or whatever in it. Um, I have found that if you take a 12 gauge, single shot, and you put a gun adapter in it, fire 20 gauge, and you shoot with a choke that's like an improved modified, you'll get a pattern pretty close to what you would get from like a skeet to a improved cylinder out of the 20 gauge. 410s, not so much, etc. Oh, and I, I forgot something in my notes here I wanted to talk to you guys about, about patterning. Uh, we talked about how just pointing in the general direction is a myth. And we talked about how it's more about the density of the pattern than the size of the pattern. So if you have a really huge pattern but low density, I mean, there's big gaps, you could actually be shooting at a – when you're talking about small targets like a bird, your pattern could be around that bird, and you could have very few, if any, pellets actually hit the bird as that pattern gets wider and wider and further out. That's one of the reasons there's a limitation – on your range with a shotgun compared to a rifle, because as the pattern becomes more broad, you could actually be within the pattern and not put enough pellets into the target to have a kill or even crippling shot. We also have a problem with this, this because the least, uh, the least efficient 
when we talk about ballistic coefficient, ability to fly shape that we shoot out of guns is a ball. A square would be worse, but we don't do that. That'd be kind of cool, though, a big old cube coming at you, right? But, like, so a ball is way less efficient as a round ball than, let's say, something shaped more like a football or a dart. So balls shed energy and speed, and the lighter they are relative to their muzzle velocity, the faster. So that's why I'm sure many of you guys have been in a dove field, and there's guys 120 yards away from you on the other side of the dove field, and they crack out a dove. And a few seconds later, you hear sounds and pellets are raining down on you, and nobody really gives a shit, right? Now, if there was a if there was an 06 round dropping on you from there, it'd kill your ass, right? That's why, because they shed that energy, they shed, shed that velocity. But that leads us to something else about patterns that people do not understand with a shotgun pattern. They'll say, I patterned my shotgun, and it was pretty dense, and it was this huge pattern. I don't know how I could possibly miss this, you know, Bird flying. Well, first of all, you're probably shooting behind it. Because everyone that thinks they overlet a target, they almost never do. But this is what you would have to do. So let's say you took this eight shot, dropped it in an improved cylinder choke, got 25 yards away from a big cardboard target, put an orange dot in the center of it, and fired a shot at it. And it would make this really beautiful, mostly spherical pattern. And you'd say, so when I shoot at a bird 25, 30 yards away, and it's a morning dove, and he's hauling ass 45 miles an hour, that's the pattern that I have with which to capture that animal. And you're sort of right. Human beings, we understand three-dimensional space well, but we don't really have a good perception of three-dimensional space-time. There's a time factor in there. To actually see what this pattern looks like, Relative to the speed of that bird, you would need to get that same big piece of cardboard with the orange dot on it, put it on some kind of a slide track, have that sucker moving at the 35, 40 mile an hour that bird's moving at. Take that gun with your swing, lead that orange dot, fire a shot at it, and then look at the pattern. And the pattern won't look like a big circle. It'll look like a trunctuating cone. Because when the shot comes out of that gun, as that pattern spreads out, it doesn't only spread out in the two dimensions of width and width and height in the two-dimensional space. It spreads out in that third dimension of depth like a big string. Meaning the first pellets that hit that target have a time lag from the last pellets that hit that target. And as that target is moving... And your shot pattern is only moving in one, one axis direction and that, that other target is moving in a cross axis direction. Some of the pellets that hit it at the front, even though it was there, that, that bird drops and it's not getting hit. Or if you're only getting it with the tail of the pattern, your density in the tail is less than the density in the head of the pattern itself. That's an important thing to understand about patterns. Another thing to understand about patterns, and the reason you even do it for like your turkey shotguns and things like that, you go out, you pattern a gun, number four shot. You take a different brand, a little bit different load, same shotgun, same shot size, you pattern it, it'll pattern a little differently. So you're looking for the most density in that pattern. For all your sporting shit, if you're missing, the pattern's not the problem. You are. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, Jackson, uh, Ronald says, 
Um, can you reload shells with steel shot being California and all? You can. There's, there's no reason you can't. Again, it's a volumetric measurement, not a weight measurement. Um, you do need to do conversions, but there are reloading manuals that give you the conversions of what the weight is. And, you know, it's the funny thing. Steel is lighter than lead. And so you end up basically with a lighter payload relative to the same capacity. And that means each individual ball has less ability to penetrate, even though it's a harder metal. Because lead is penetrating based on its density. We're not shooting things that are armor plated with, you know, game shot. Uh, what are your thoughts? Experience with shooting slugs through a full choke. I've never done it. My understanding is you can. I don't really use a full choke hardly at all. About the only time I've used a full choke is turkey hunting, and I haven't dedicated done turkey hunting since I was like 17 years old. So I just don't have any experience with it at all. Uh, Don Ricardo says, at what point should we consider getting into reloading these days? As soon as you think it's a good idea, but let's, let's be honest, right? You only own a 12 gauge. You don't shoot very often. You're learning to reload because you want the skill set and you enjoy it as a hobby. You shoot a lot. It pays for itself really, really quickly. It really does. Uh, let's see. Also, Ron says, what is the best shell for self-defense? Again, I think that, first of all, at home defense ranges, it all works. I don't want somebody shooting me in the face with this at 10 feet, Dick Cheney. Leave me alone, right? I really don't. This is, this is nine shot. I would not recommend this, but I sure as hell don't want to get hit in the face with it coming through somebody's door or window, right? Uh, but I personally love number four buck for that application. Uh, it, it, again, with the informal study that I read, it was freaking the fight stopper, but slugs work too. Um, Sam says number four buck ain't bad. So we agree on that. That was in response to the last question. John says, is it potentially dangerous to use slugs with a choke? Uh, you know, we just had that question about full chokes. I think it's generally recommended that you don't with full chokes. I have fired slugs out of modified improved cylinder, cylinder, ski, never had a problem with it. I routinely used to shoot slugs out of an 870 12-gauge improved cylinder. I had no problems with it whatsoever, none. In fact, it was damn accurate. I'll tell you a story, and there's someone here that can vouch for the kind of, when I talk about shooting a shotgun and being good, I am not kidding, guys. I was out shooting with, well, actually, we went hunting. A friend of mine named Heath and I went hunting, and he had a little 410 bolt, and I had a Remington 870 12-gauge. And we saw absolutely nothing all day long. We got down the bottom of the mountain. There was a place where a lot of people used to go out and have bush parties and stuff like that. So there was beer bottles all around, slush dam type place. So there's a stripping hole. And what we would do is we'd pick all the bottles up and throw bottles for each other and shoot them over the stripping hole like targets, right? And uh, so we do this, and he's not hitting jack shit. And he said, well, you have 12 gauge of season. So I take his little 410, and I'm popping bottles left and right. And I, I had, like, a box of shells with me. It fired everything that I had as far as I was concerned. And he's like, I, I, I found another shell. Why don't you shoot one more bottle before we leave? Uh, I, all right. He goes, I'll load it for you. I know what he's doing. He had a freaking slug. He had a freaking slug. And so he loads the gun and hands it back to me. And he picks up a Mickey Big Mouth bottle, if you know what that is. They're a pretty small bottle. And he, this kid had an arm, man, and he chunks this thing up in the air as high as he could, what actually made what happened next a little bit easier. 
when you're shooting bottles on like skeet, what you just do is you kind of wait for them to hit that, that, that pinnacle of their arc and they kind of freeze for just a second before they fall and you pop them there. So I knock this thing out of the air with a slug and his mouth just gaped. It wasn't really that hard because again, he got this really high straight vertical shot for me, but you know, that's accuracy that's definitely good for deer hunting. So I, I, I don't think it's a bad to have a choke at all. Again, I've just heard that really kind of that improved cylinder and down is where you really want to be with it. Um, why are built-in tube magazines more popular than removable box magazines with a shotgun? Because of the size of the shells, Thomas. So when you take a shotgun, let me reach back here again, such as this Browning A5, and you have the ability to have four shells in this tubular magazine, it really doesn't affect the gun much at all. Like even if that magazine was, if that tube wasn't there, this gun would probably look just like it does. If I'm going to cram four of these into a box magazine, I'm going to have a pretty big magazine, right? I mean, we're looking at we're going to be coming out the bottom of this weapon by several inches. Now, if it's a three-shot proposition, like that Mossberg I talked about, it actually has a two-shell box magazine is exactly what it has. And, yeah, reloading, what have you. But what you'll find when you get good with a shotgun is that with a pump, you just simply, you can leave that last round open and drop a shell. I'm not going to load this right in really quick and come forward with a semi-auto. You can drop that shell in and you can hit your your bolt release and feed in. And you also can be topping up individually into that tubular magazine while you actually have a closed breech there and you have a round in the weapon itself. So it's it's not really a hard thing to be reloading a shotgun, and we're generally not looking at, like, 30-round capacity shotguns because, again, we're just talking about capacity. And then there's something to be said for that that that's how they've always been uh, used. John Henry, does it affect accuracy to use a shorter shell in a longer chamber, even slugs? Slugs, I, I... I don't really know. I think somebody would have to put that to the test. Shot shells, it will have absolutely no impact whatsoever on anything because in the end you have that, that shot cup with the shot in it coming out of the shell. You're only talking about a quarter inch difference in the length of the chamber going into that barrel and everything is controlled by the forcing cone of the choke at the end. Is it conceivable that there might be some variance in the consistency of accuracy with a slug? I would say 99.9%. I would guess no, but I've never seen it tested. I've never seen it tested. But this actually is a great question because it brings up another issue. A lot of people think if the barrel on a shotgun is longer, that it will be a longer range weapon or it will be more accurate, it'll be less accurate, that you'll have a much different pattern in, let's say, a 24-inch barreled shotgun and a 30-inch barreled shotgun. Nothing has more impact than the choke itself and then the load that we're talking about going through it. A 24-inch barreled shotgun is every bit as accurate out to its effective range as 30-inch barreled shotgun is. So why do some, why do a lot of skeet, professional skeet shooters, guys that are shooting really far, really hard skeet, competitions, etc. use longer barrels. 
the longer sight radius makes it more likely that the shooter is going to keep his head welded to that stock and less likely to look up over the barrel because you have a longer sight plane. So it's it, there's no measurable difference until we get down to really short barrels here. And we're starting to get into like where you need a you, it's a destructive device you can't own it what have you. Um it, it really this is why I'm not a fan of long barrel shotguns. I know that Browning A5 has a, a, a 28-inch barrel on it, but that's because that's how it came, and it's made in the 1950s. My go-to is a 24 to 26-inch barrel because it's just a handier, it's a handier shotgun to carry in the woods, which is also, by the way, one of the big advantages on your brake barrels. So you end up with a shorter overall length of the weapon in any gun, comparable to its brothers or sisters or cousins, whatever you want to call it, when you go to a brake action versus a pump or a semi-auto or anything else. And the reason is, when you look at this, if we load a shell into this, that shell goes right up against that breech there, and there is no action. There's not, basically, you need the entire length of the shell, and you have to push this piece of the barrel up to about here so that the shell can feed into it. So one of the really beautiful things about things like an over and under or what have you is a field shotgun for hunting is the same length barrel is still a shorter and also lighter weapon because there's less material in the weapon itself. So don't ever be afraid to go with shorter barrels, et cetera, except that it takes more discipline for good head position, good sight picture. When you're shooting a shotgun, I think one of the things people don't understand is people think, well, it's just a smooth bore and a bead. There's only one sight. Right. Or some shotguns don't even have a bead at the end of that barrel. Like there's one sight, the end of the barrel. Wrong. Your eye is the rear sight. And the way to get the sight picture right, and you don't have that intermediate like peep sight or uh, buckhorn sight or something like that, to force that is your, when you look down that barrel, all you should see is that bead. All you should see is that bead. You shouldn't see... Pretty much nothing. Now, vent rib, you might see a bit of it, but it should be a flat plane. And the number one reason people miss with a shotgun, other than they're behind the target on their swing, is that they lift their head just a little bit off that gun, and you've completely destroyed the sight relationship. And the number one way I've gotten people when they're not hitting to start hitting is you take the gun away from him, you do what my buddy Heath did to me, and you load the gun for them, but sometimes you don't put a shell in. Because without the recoil and the noise and the distraction, when a person lifts their head and pulls that trigger and it goes click, they see it. And I found you can tell a person over and over, you're lifting your head up, you're lifting your head, they will tell you they're not. You can video them and they'll tell you you're not. You give them an empty chamber to fire on, they see it right away. Weatherford, Weathered Soul says, shotgun for home protection. Uh, Mossberg Model 70, Remington, I'm sorry, Mossberg 500, Remington 870, 12 or 20 gauge, 18-inch uh, barrel, 16-inch barrel, somewhere in that range. Uh, probably the epitome of a perfect home defense shotgun. Semi-autos are good, too. Remington 1100, similar configuration. Uh the Mossberg, I can't remember what the Mossberg semi-auto is or the Winchester semi-auto, Beretta semi-auto, all of it. But in that shorter configuration, um, it's just because it's easier to maneuver in those types of situations. 
However, I don't want somebody to pop me in the face with that Model 5, uh, that A5 Browning back there either. It's just not, it's a much larger, longer tool, and it just doesn't maneuver as well. So, so main thing I'm concerned with, 12-20 gauge, short overall length. That's what I'm looking for in a home defense shotgun. If it's black, it's black. If it's not, it won't matter. Uh, David Siegler, that's my buddy David. We guys hear about on the show sometimes. He said, he, he said, I heard that a man with one eye can hit a flying object with a shot, can't hit a flying object with a shotgun. So David is a close friend. He, he spends a lot of time over here and we've talked about this and we've been out shooting rifles and stuff like that. And I'm a good rifle shot. I'm not great, but I'm a good rifle shot. And I told him, we're going to have to go out and shoot some shotguns one day. And we finally did a granddaddy's gun club. And David's goal in life now is to get me to basically be a like a pool hall hustler with sporting clays. It's his goal in life. He wants to go out and prove to people I really can't see jack shit out of one eye and then get them to uh, shoot clays for money. I'm, I'm not really that kind of hustler. I like to hustle on the on, on the work side. Packrat says, your opinion of the Thunder 5 and other pistols chambered for 45 and 410. I think they're cool. Um, let's go back to range, though. You know what a 45 does to somebody at close range? It hurts. I guess the 410, number four buck, I think those hold four pellets or five. I don't remember what it is. It'd be a pretty damn devastating self-defense round, but again... When you reduce muzzle velocity, you have a sphere. A sphere is the least aerodynamical thing that we shoot out of a gun on a routine basis. Its range is incredibly limited. Um, home defense, handguns, you know, I'm 9mm, 357-SIG, 45-APC. That's where I am. I wouldn't, again, I, I don't think that you really have any problem there, but I'm not I'm not huge on them. I'm really not. Uh that hopping rabbit crossing clay station is a great place to track and trap. Uh, I don't know what that is. If that's the name of a place or a crossing rabbit station, like, uh, where you have two rabbits crossing, it's a hard, it's hard, guys. It, I think that's what he's talking about. You have two clays coming in opposite directions at each other and that ground level bouncing and you have to go from one to the other. That's probably my most consistent miss. When I do sporting clays, if they have a station like that, uh, Dom Ricardo says, what do you think of cut shells is shown by somebody's YouTube channel? I looked into that. And for those who don't know, a cut shell is we take a knife and right about where the, 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 uh, the, the middle of the shot cup is, we cut through the shell, right through the, the plastic all the way around and I mean completely cut through and we leave just a little bit of plastic to hold it. We take that and we put it in a shotgun and we fire it. And of course it'll tear the, what's that little bit of shell uh, casing that's left off and it'll go flying through the air. And then the, the case itself holds the shot in a very dense situation. You don't get any spread. And it impacts, you got an ounce and an eighth of a shot, you've basically got a, an ounce and an eighth frangible slug. I don't know how well it will work at hunting distance. It's supposed to be like an old poacher's trick, right? So that you could be out and you see a deer and you've got your six shot for squirrels 
and now I can shoot the deer. But if the game warden, the revenuer gets me, all I've got is a shell with some damage to it. I don't know how the hell that happened. My brother-in-law must have done that, that type of thing. I question seriously its lethality on medium-sized game at any significant range. I think at home defense ranges, there's no reason for it, but damn it, it sounds like it would be absolutely positively devastating. Uh, Jack C., would you put a scope or other optic on a shotgun and why? I would put a scope on a shotgun that was a dedicated slug gun, specifically a rifle-barreled one that I was going to shoot Sabo slugs in because you have a range of about 200 yards, and I don't see well out to 200 yards. That's about it. I, I really wouldn't. Maybe a tactical, I might do, go to a red dot. Um, but I am such an instinctive shooter, it's really not something that I would want to use at that range personally. Mike says, would you trust another person's reloads as much as I trust the other person? Um, I've had people in my life that were big-time reloaders that I used to get ammo from all the time. So, yes, I would not trust a moron reloading for me. I will also say, home defense, shotgun, handgun, I don't give a shit what it is. Masada Ayub, who I trust more than any other man on the subject of personal defense with a, with a, with a weapon, says do not use reloads in your personal defense weapon. First of all, because in general, even though reloads are really reliable, factory rounds, by when you measure it across 10,000 rounds, are more reliable. And if it's that one time and you needed to defend yourself and you have a misfire and you get shot, that sucks. But the other reason is legal implications. That if you have an over-aggressive prosecutor, they may make the case that you reloaded that thing in some specific way to be even more lethal because you just wanted to kill somebody or some shit like that. And his advice, and there's an episode of TSP where I interviewed Mossad, was just don't. Just basically take away every bit of their ammunition they can before the fact and hope you never have the fact. But if you have the fact, don't give them more rope to hang you with. Uh, but I would trust, I would trust, uh, that Built by Ross says, correct, just have more than one loader set up. So he's talking about uh, shot shell reloading with the lead load all. Yeah, you can just have a 20 and a 16. I think that's what he's saying. Uh, Built by Ross says, Dylan is the best as of progressive press, just more expensive. Dylan presses are really good. I think the MECs and the Dylans are really close. Dylans cost a little more. Maybe they're a little faster. Um I have very limited, like, I have an uncle that had an, an MEC many, many, many years ago, and I've actually used it. I personally own a Lee Lodal 2 and 20 and 12, and I can't possibly come up with anything wrong with them. Um, they are definitely not as fast. Somo 2SS says, have you ever shot a Mossberg 930 Jam Pro? Finally shot mine on Father's Day. Love it. Long time. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the Mossberg 930 JM Pro is. Let's look up together. 30? Is that what he said, J30? When I'm on another screen, I can't see. 930 JM Pro. 930 JM Pro. It's a semi-auto. It looks like the Mossberg. And, of course, the place that I picked doesn't have a good photograph of it. So uh, here we go. So I'll go ahead and share that with you guys since you had to wait for me to find it. But I don't know, man. It looks like uh, 
Mossberg's version of the uh, Remington 1100, right? So, um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have any problem owning one. It looks like it's very fairly priced. I, I would actually kind of be interested in what more of the uh, the one designed for you know woodland hunting would cost compared to an 1100 because 1100s have gotten the Remington 1100 has gotten extremely expensive. Uh, but you know my view with most guns is shoot what you like, run what you like, as long as you're not using uh, something that that's not adequate for what you're doing. Someone here says uh, long podcast today, Jack. Yeah, it went longer than I planned. Uh, someone else is asking about Mossberg 930, so we just covered that. Uh, Turkish semi-auto bullpup onion. Don't know what that means, but I like bullpups. Uh, and Turkey's making some pretty awesome shotguns lately. lately. Uh, I don't see any more all caps. Okay, we've got something else. Ooh, Jack, go over mini shells with an OP SOL mini clip. So... Um, there are what are called mini shells, which are just a much shorter shell so we can fit more rounds in that tubular magazine. And they make them in buckshot, and I, I think they are fine for home defense if you wanted to just increase uh, the amount of uh, rounds you could fit. I've never bought one. I've had a couple times I've found one available, but I've always been really interested in the Keltec KSG. It's a bullpup. Shotgun that has a double magazine. You can switch in between magazines and stuff like that. But I, I, I think it's really cool looking, but I think it's more gimmick than practical use. I think it's hard to beat. Again, it's just a good old straight up tactically configured pump action 12 gauge or 20 gauge Mossberger Remington. It's kind of like the gold standard for that. Anyway, guys, I appreciate you being with us today. Uh, we did go long. Uh, I do want to remind you guys, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can always do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. You can find my item of the day there. Item of the day today is General Hydroponics, their combo fertilizer kit. Uh, The one-gallon size in particular is on sale for like 86 bucks. That that particular kit of all three different additives for your hydro systems has been over $110 all year long in 2022. So that's a big price drop. So I made it uh, my item of the day today. You can check it out at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And uh, remember, you can start your shopping there whenever you shop online. No matter what you buy, you help the survival podcast and the work that we did. Uh, Tom L says he didn't like the KSG. I said I've never shot one. Got to play with one the year they were introduced at SHOT Show, but they didn't have it out at range day, which really sucked. And I've never shot one. I just And they seem really heavy for what they are. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, uh, you can help me out with that. Uh, and you can also become a member of the MSB. And uh, you can pay for MSB with Bitcoin, I'm just saying. And if you go through the process to do that, when you get the email from me to complete payment, you'll find out about a discount that only Bitcoiners get. So that's, that's also something that's available. And uh, with that, I hope you guys, uh, hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I will catch you again tomorrow. We have a, uh, interview tomorrow and we're going to be talking to, to, uh, someone about aquaponics. So we'll go to a totally different, uh, thing tomorrow. We'll try to do a very varied week for you this week. So we had Bitcoin breakout on Monday. Uh, we had shotguns today. We're going to have hydroponics tomorrow, expert council, Q&A show Thursday. And of course, Outback with Jack on Friday. Down. Are they gonna bail you out?
should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. 